Have you ever heard of a thing called the podcaster's curse? Well, one of the joys of recording a podcast is usually what happens is you record an episode and then loads of things happen directly after it, therefore making the episode completely irrelevant as soon as it's put out. However, this week we've been fortunate because the hockey gods have blessed us with a ton of news to mull over on this Tuesday evening in time for our recording. And I'm very pleased that I've got a couple of fine gentlemen to chat through this with. Uh, we've got Dallas Stars fan and regular NHL fans from afar, uh, Matt Day. Good evening, Matt. Good evening. You okay? Oh, yeah. Very good. I mean, top of the NHL, aren't we? Good old uh, Leafs <laughs> oh, Nation. God. Hang on. How long did that take? Uh, about two minutes, if that. So uh, you, you can tell how well the Leafs are doing because I'm wearing more and more Leafs merch because that's how it works with me. Um, and also here as well, representing the Leafs, but also representing the West Coast division as well is James Reeve. I'm very glad we've been able to grab you away from your football reporting duty, James, because you're actually making me jealous earlier by telling me that you actually get to go to live football games for work at the moment, which is just... I can't even imagine what that's like, and I'm extremely jealous, but thank you for taking a time and, and spending a night in uh, to chat to us about some hockey and some, about some West Coast. You write about the Arizona Coyotes, but also a Leafs fan as well, so a good guy to have on, of course. Welcome along. We are on the other thing I need to mention, um, because Claire would have told me off otherwise, I've got to uh, quickly disclaim that Claire's not here this week, uh, she's busy working elsewhere, however... Um, I, as we mentioned last week, I'm in the middle of a house move and uh, the only thing now remaining is uh, internet. Um, I, I still don't have that, which is a joy, as you can imagine, in this world of Zooms and everything and working from home. However, I am tethered to my mobile device. So if I disappear, sound worse than usual, then apologies, but I've prepped James and Matt to just take it away and carry on chatting. So apologies if I just disappear off the face of the planet. There is so much to talk about on this week's episode. It's hard to know where to start, really. But I think we should talk about the thing that has just happened and the big bit of news that has just happened. And that is involving the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, this story has been strange from the beginning. The GM just decided that he was going to leave. Now, loads of articles and podcasts have talked about the reasons why this might have happened and all of that but the story's never really come out and the GM said he, he will never talk about it but then of course since then the story turns to who's going to take over and who's going to replace him now tonight we've heard from the Pittsburgh Penguins and James you alerted me that, to this just before we uh, started recording that Ron Hextall is going to take over as the GM and maybe surprisingly, just because of the, the kind of career change that he's undertaken recently, Brian Burke is going to be the, uh, is he the uh, hockey operations, director of hockey operations? That is uh, his, his president title. of hockey operations is his president. title. It says. 
president of hockey operations. So he's going to be involved with the team that he had so many choice words for when they picked Sidney Crosby and Jane Malkin and all those players. Um, but he's going to be going back uh, into that side of uh, the hockey universe. Um, thoughts, gents? I mean, just a really interesting one, because as we, we touched on the podcast last week, I think it was, Pittsburgh are in a really interesting spot because they're going to have to do the dreaded rebuild at some point, maybe not next year, maybe not the year after, but at some point they're going to have to work out what they're going to do post-Crosby and Malkin. Um, so, yeah, Matt, thoughts on, um, on, the, on the hiring? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't really know too much about Ron Hextall other than him getting fired from Philadelphia. And I, I kind of feel going from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh is, is uh, kind of like crossing the, the rivalry border. And I'm not, I'm not sure the Philadelphia fans will be too, too pleased with that. Um, but I think, I mean, who knows what ho- president of hockey operations actually does. I mean, half of these titles, I don't, I don't truly understand <laughs> what they do. Half of them, you wonder whether they're just made up by the agents of the people who get the jobs. This yeah. is the job title that he wants. But I think, I think Hextall's got, like you say, a tough job ahead of him. They're in, well, this season, they're in a real battle in the East. We We mentioned before, it's one of the, probably the toughest um division to try and call who's who's going to get out of it um and they're currently sitting fifth um so they've also got this rebuild that pittsburgh have keep talking about this rebuild and then saying when we're rebuilding no we're not rebuilding we we're going for we're going for the cup like last season it was all talk about rebuild they were talking about trading mulkin and then all of a sudden no we're going for the cup again and it's 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 been a bit strange, and I think at some point they're going to have to bite the bullet and maybe trade Malkin. Big big personalities, big moves uh, ahead for them, I think. And and maybe Hextall's the right guy to come in and do it. And Brian Burke's a big big character, um, so maybe the two of them are the right people to come in and and shake things up and and do this rebuild that keeps being spoken about. I do wonder about that with the double appointment of Brian Burke coming in as well as Ron Hextall. I do wonder whether this is them kind of beefing up that front office to be able to do something of that magnitude. Because, I mean, we've seen how unpleasant it got in Chicago, a team who are on a similar kind of age trajectory as, as Pittsburgh. And you saw how, you know, <laughs> you had Jonathan Taves speaking out against ownership over the, the, the summer or whatever it was. But he it's such a difficult thing to do and it's never going to be easy. It's never going to be the right time for everybody. And yeah, I don't know what you think, James, but I I looked at this as they are bolstering up for something big. And you wonder why the reasoning behind Jim Rutherford leaving, whether that was a disagreement as to when that might be that, you know, that, that kind of rip the bandaid off moment. And this to me just looked like it was something that they were bolstering up ready for that moment. Yeah, I mean, Rutherford obviously hasn't spoken about his reasons for leaving and probably never will. Uh, Maybe he'll write a memoir or a book one day. But um, a lot of talk that has seemed to seep out whether or not there's any real truth to the rumours or not is that uh, Rutherford started looking at essentially trading away some of the bigger names on the team, in particular a guy like Chris Letang, who's kind of, you know, on a downwards tra- trajectory in his career. He's not the guy he used to be quite a, still got a big salary for like a couple more years. Um, 
And I think there were some disagreements as to whether or not the team should do that um, from an ownership perspective. And that might have been one of many reasons that kind of contributed to it. But it does seem that Rutherford was of the opinion, at least from these little snippets that I've seen or read online, that um, perhaps he started to look towards a rebuild and ownership still kind of thinking, we've still got Crosby, we've still got Malkin, we've got guys like Gensel, you know, we can still probably try and have a go at it, especially this year, shortened season, uh, unusual division set up. Um, all they have to do is finish fourth um, in the division to get into the playoffs this year. So um, I can understand why they've gone for a double appointment and some pretty big names in, re in yeah. reality. I mean, both of the gu these guys have worked with NHL teams that have won the Stanley Cup. So Hextall won a cup with the Kings as assistant GM back in 2012. He's been involved with the Kings and the Flyers organization, obviously, forever. Um, but interestingly, his father played for the Penguins in the 70s. So for him, he actually grew up watching the Penguins play while his father was there. So for him, it seems like an interesting move to go back um, to a team that as a child, uh, he kind of appreciated and watched regularly. Um, obviously, he built, he built a good team in Philly. Um, some great players in, on that side of Pennsylvania. Uh, couldn't quite get them to where they were expecting to be. Um, you know, you've got guys like Couturier and um, Giroux trying to win the cup, but they couldn't quite get there. So obviously parted ways, went back to the, <laughs> went back to the Kings as an advisor. So like he's kind of flip-flopped between two teams since, um, since hanging up his skates. Obviously he was a goalie during his playing days. And this will be his first real test outside of those two markets that he's really familiar with because he's never worked with um, any other NHL teams other than these two, as far as I'm aware. I, re I really wonder as well whether ownership looked at this as, you know, Pittsburgh were one of the teams in the offseason who were talking about potentially not being a, a cap team and how, how uh, you know, finances were going to be really tight this year and, and all of those kind of things. And I just wonder whether ownership said, look, <laughs> this is not the time to do a rebuild, because if you do a rebuild now, then what's going to happen? Fans are going to lose interest for a few years because, you know, fans who just love watching Crosby or love watching Malkin or those or have an attachment to Latang, you know, those, those fans, those casual fans who probably generate a fair amount of money are just going to think, I'm going to watch this. They're going to get stuffed every night. Like, and I just wonder whether, who knows, but I wonder whether ownership just said, no, 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 you, we need to... <laughs> we need to milk out a few more years of the big money that Crosby and Malkin can bring us. Then you can do your rebuild. And that's maybe where Jim Rutherford went. Nah, forget it. You could, you could be right. But I think the the big task for, for Hexold is, is sorting the defense out. I mean, yeah, they're really struggling and they're not getting the goaltending that they need. And I'm not, I'm no. not sure the goaltenders are getting the protection that they need. Um, but I think, you know, Jerry was, was meant to be the guy, and I think he's only got two wins. Um, yeah, he's been in my that, fancy team. He's been atrocious, <laughs> and 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 that's not going to be good enough. And you you look at their defense, and you mentioned Latang's contract, and and he's not playing 
anywhere near as good as he, he has done in the past. And then the other names they've got, you know, CC's been been around oh, everywhere yeah, at the yeah. moment. And it, it, it just seems like if they've got to do anything, they've got to sort the defence out. But how, how do you do that in this, um, you know, tight cap era with, um, <laughs> I don't know, at some point there's probably going to be a lot of a lot of trades but it doesn't seem like um now's the time you know it's it's tough trades are so difficult as well at the moment like because you've got the cross-border issue i mean we look at the pierre Luc dubois trade which we might mention a bit later on tonight but he's going to make his season debut tonight and yet he was traded like over two weeks ago and and it is so tricky and then of course because of the way the divisions are you can't see many teams in your own division trading internally because why would you want to help an opponent that's going to be directly competing with you? And so it just makes for a really tricky market to to do anything. And I mean, you look at some of the some of the signings that that Pittsburgh did make. I mean, they went, you know, they they gave up a first round pick for Kasperi Kapanen from the Leafs. Now. You know, I, I liked Kapanen. He's a really good player and, and I was sad to see him go, although it was inevitable he was going to have to go. But again, that you look at that and you think where you're weakest is, as you said, Matt, the, the D is, is, is painful to watch at times. And if your answer to that is Cody Cece, then come on. And if you're going to spend that first round pick, then surely that could have been better directed somewhere else. But it's a tricky market to to go into, and you know Brian Burke has has very kind of clear ideals as to how he wants his teams. And if you watch him on Sportsnet, he has very, you know, he he knows what he wants. And it'll be interesting to see how the type of players that they go after now. And I'm sure they've had assurances from ownership that they are allowed to go after a certain, you know, amount of players before the trade deadline. But it's going to be very interesting to see how they bring that through. Um, yeah, I, they're, they're a fascinating team. They're a team that I quite enjoy watching because of all the stories around them. Um, but that, as you say, that goal-tending partnership. Yeah, I don't know, James, thoughts on the kind of Pittsburgh this year and are they are they where you thought they were going to be? Are they over-underachieving? Can't imagine they're overachieving. Mate, you look at Pittsburgh and they're an ageing team now like all their stars are in their 30s like um they gave up matt murray because they were so confident in jerry and de smith as being the tandem but their defensive core is pretty horrendous like when rutherford goes out and signs cody cc and gets uh, matheson like just guys that shouldn't be in like a top four at best a top six um it's it's a tough situation to be in, and for for Rutherford, uh, not Rutherford, uh, for Hextall, um, he's going to have a really difficult time restocking like the the cupboard in terms of prospects because at this year's draft, the Penguins have their second round pick, their fifth round pick, and then three picks in the th- in the seventh round. So, Slim by the time they reach yeah, by the time they reach their fifth round by the time they reach the fifth round they'll have picked once and so if they're gonna if they do intend to do a rebuild at some point they need to start stocking up on draft capital because they've got none this year they've got 
uh, all of their picks next year and all their picks the following year. But are they realistically going to be challenging when you've got like your best players in their mid thirties now? I mean, Crosby is obviously still Crosby, but is he going to be that forever? No. Malkin is still Malkin, but he's not going to be that forever either. Arguably, he's not even that now anymore. Um, a bunch of old guys. The move for Kapanen was very interesting and unusual because, mm. yeah, he's a nice, nice little player to have, maybe on like your third line. I don't see him as being this first line, even like second line guy. Got a bit of pace, decent penalty penalty killer, but they gave up a first round pick and one of their better prospects in Philip Harlander. Yeah. yeah. And the Penguins fans were not happy when that deal went down. And Leafs fans were absolutely loving it. And I mean, to give up a top prospect in your system and a first round pick, and you don't have your first round pick next draft, I mean some questionable decisions were made by Rutherford. I'm surprised it took that long for him to go. Um, but now it's kind of like Hextall and Burke have to work together and figure out what they're going to do with what's available. Because as you say, I mean, especially in this post-COVID pandemic world, like finances all over the league are going to be tighter. Can, can teams really afford to take on an aging Evgeny Malkin um, contract, even though uh, it's probably not that bad compared to some other contracts. I mean, it's still nine and a half million with five million like si- signing bonus next year. Um, like it's it's still a pretty hefty chunk. And don't worry, if there's, if there's no one thing we know about NHL GMs, do not worry. There will always be somebody willing to take a bad contract in the NHL. There'll always be somebody <laughs> who just needs someone like Malkin to tip that, or in their eyes, tip them over the edge of uh, that. Sorry, Jake. Well, finish point. I mean, if he's willing to go to Ottawa or Detroit, then maybe. <laughs> I think Ottawa might need a little bit more. They can afford him. That. Yeah. I mean, Ottawa so, will probably I mean, take so... bonus. Big big changes in Pittsburgh. We kind of knew that when when Rutherford was uh, announced that he was leaving. Some of the other things we want to talk about, uh, James, if you can bring us up to speed with the the big retirement news that has just broken um, once we've gone through this. But um, a couple of the other things that we're going to talk about tonight, an absolutely bizarre, bizarre moment that happened in a Columbus Blue Jackets Carolina Hurricanes game that I happened to watch the other night because it was the European game of the week. And it was Sunday night and I still have no internet. So all I can do is watch terrestrial TV at the moment. So I uh, sat down and watched uh, that game and a a nutty thing happened. So we'll talk about that. Um, I wanted to quickly talk about the Vancouver Canucks and their cap situation, because that was just something, obviously, I've watched a lot of the Canucks this week because the Leafs have played them three times. Absolutely like spanked them three times in a row. So it, it, it started me looking into their team and where they're at. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about that. Um, and then hopefully we'll have time to kind of look at the ice times of some players who who uh, kind of highlighted out like McDavid and Dreisaitl's ice time in the Calgary game. And of course, Patrick Laine's lack of ice time um, is another um, hot topic at the moment. Lots happening 
with uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets as we speak. But on them, James, do you want to bring us up to date with uh, a bit of retirement news that broke as well just before we started recording? Yeah, so uh, it's the uh, end of the line for Miko Koivu. Um, obviously, Minnesota wild legend. Um, apart from the seven games he played with the Columbus Blue Jackets this year, played his entire career in Minnesota, played one 1,035 games in the league, 711 points. Um, but yeah, um, I guess his, his play this year has not been great. Um, he said that in his retirement press release. And um, I do feel like it's almost like a Martin Brodeur situation where he probably should have retired after leaving the team he had played his entire career with, go out as a wild, as the wild's captain as he was, and rather than go and try and play in Columbus at the age of 37. Um, so a bit of a disappointing end to what has been a great career. Um, Unusual seeing him in a Blue Jackets jersey anyway. Um, but, yeah, hope, uh, hope Koivu all the best. Now kind, that kind, of, kind of feel that's happening a lot at the moment. I don't know about you guys, but in workplaces now, like I know colleagues who have like left or gone off to, to somewhere else. And, of course, the there is just no kind of leaving do. You don't see them. They just disappear off the face of the earth. And I feel that even in hockey, that's happened a little bit, that you've got you've got players going to teams who probably wouldn't have gone to teams, but because of the pandemic, that's where they've ended up for whatever reason, for finances or, or teams having to be cap compliant. And you do have some of those scenarios where you look at these players and you go, oh, it's strange seeing you in that jersey. And obviously for him, really tough. I mean, 16 seasons in the NHL and so much of his career with the Minnesota Wild to then kind of just spend a couple of games with Columbus and then go, but really kind of lights the fire under all of this talk about Tortorella at the moment. And uh, we'll come on to linking that to Patrick Lyonet in a minute, but he's certainly not Matt, a coach that uh, can avoid the headlines for very long, because just as the Pierre-Luc Dubois stuff has kind of started to die down a little bit, you've now got this retirement and Patrick Lyonet being benched. Yeah, you know, they they trade one guy who got benched for another guy who they've now benched. Um, you know, Tortorella just can't can't fail to make the headlines, can he? I mean, um, I, I don't think um, Line A was as bad as Dubois was uh, in his shifts, um, but yeah, he he was benched, um, and uh, Tortorella just kind of seems to say. You know, we're, we're, we've got a process and people have got to get on board and all of that kind of thing. And it's, I don't know whether it's him on a bit of a power trip and he, he just can't get on with people or whether it, it's a coaching method that's actually going to work. Um, I mean, Line A had a few issues in, in Winnipeg with... Um, I think he was benched a few times there and not, not trying hard enough and all that kind of thing. I think we mentioned it when we were discussing the trade. Um, it was it was only like his third game, I think. So it, it, how's he going to respond um, to to kind of being benched when he's going to be this star? So it, it, it's certainly interesting. I, I I don't know. Tortorella's not, not the kind of person I'd want to be on the wrong side of. Um, 
and he's obviously he's obviously made his money, and you know he he obviously can do what he likes. But this uh, this is his contract year. Tortorella's contract is up at the end of this year, and you'd think for uh, it's Kekalainen, isn't it? The yeah. Columbus GM. Uh, you you think for him, he's made this huge move, and obviously Tortorella didn't want Dubois there for which was very clear. Both sides had moved on from that, but you bring in someone like Line. You know what line A is, and you know what he's going to do. Only the night before this benching happened, I was watching him clap in slap shots on the power play for CBJ and looking like the thing with line A is you so what if he doesn't kind of if he isn't in the game for, for half of it because he scored two goals for you and he's always a goal threat. And what is so interesting with this Tortorella line thing that now is potentially going to become an issue is that if you're sitting him on the bench, you are spending time, you, you know, you're more and more minutes for your team on the ice without line a, the less chance you are to score. And you've got such a goal threat there. And you would think that he would just rise above that, but that doesn't seem the, to be his. The problem for line was that he was benched for 26 minutes but they went on to win yeah. the game. So it's not like he can say, True. you know, True. you you need me to score the goals to win the game. They won 3-2. So, um, yeah. But that's but but that's going to happen at some point. You know, if he carries yeah. on benching him, there's going to be a game when Columbus don't don't score enough goals and the other team win and, and the question marks will be there. But but you'd think with a player like Line A, who has had all of those issues in, in Winnipeg and confidence issues and trying to bring him in, you'd surely think that, what was it, it's like fourth game or something like that surely you would think that you need to just try and pump the guy's tires a little bit and try and get him going for you i've just i've just seen exactly his quote as well he said it's part of the process of understanding our team concept how we do things here and the discipline of being a pro you know so he calls into question line a's ability of being a pro athlete it's 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 not um it's not the best thing to do publicly personally but the guy scores goals for fun. Like, just put him out there. Like, it's one of the things, like, with when you're watching your team, uh, Matt, you probably are saying for Dallas, and I know probably James saying with you with the Leafs, like, you watch your team, and regardless of whether a star player on your team is having a good game or not, I know if Austin Matthews is on the ice, there's a chance we're going to score. Like, and it could come from nothing. It's the same with McDavid in, in, in um, Edmonton. Like they could be having an absolutely terrible game, the Oilers. McDavid could be just, you don't even know he's playing. And then bam, there you go. Moment of brilliance, he scores the goal. And that could change the game. It's a little bit like a fight coming out of nowhere. Like it can tip the balance of momentum. And hockey's such a momentum sport that surely as a coach, you try and put those players out and put those players into a position to succeed and don't get bogged down in all of the kind of, you know, well, you know, he's got to fit in with the mould. He's not, he doesn't fit into a mould. He's a 50, he's potentially a 50 point goal scorer a year, this guy. Like, how do you, you know, think of Dallas. Have the stars ever kind of benched any of their star players, uh, high profile benchings? They they have. I'm trying to think who it was. I think it was Jim Montgomery bench, Jamie Benn. Um, but but not for you know for the rest of the period, not yeah. for the remainder of the game. Uh, some of the younger guys got got benched by Montgomery um, for for not 
for not doing the defensive side because that's that's kind of yeah. was his thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's the the length of these benchings. I mean, making <laughs> making them sit on the bench for a period and a half is is a bit it's a bit over the top. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll be looking back at this at the end of the season when Columbus are in the Stanley Cup final and and going, he's a genius. I don't know. Wow. As as someone who traded for Line A in fantasy, I hope to God that is the case, Matt, because I <laughs> always got comes a lot back of, to fantasy. I know I've got a lot right in this. Have All you seen? Leafs. I've got to try. I, that's the thing. I've got to try and divert my attention from going back to the Leafs. I now go back to fantasy hockey. It's just a coping mechanism that I have. Um, <laughs> so one of the other stories linking Columbus Blue Jackets, and I promise we will talk about some other teams as well. And I want to bring James in to talk about the West, and Matt's going to talk a bit about the Central. But one of the other things that happened um, with the Columbus Blue Jackets was they they were involved in one of the most bizarre things I've ever witnessed watching hockey. And um, to to kind of briefly explain if you if you missed it, Columbus or well, sorry Carolina, a fantastic game Sunday night. It was just end to end, and Carolina scored a goal, uh, Vinny Trocek, and about twenty seconds earlier there was an offside kind of uh, one of those kind of close calls entering the zone offside and John Tortorella decided to uh, call it back and go for a coach's challenge now those are quite high stakes these days because not only do you lose the goal but you would then also um, have to go onto the power play or sorry onto the penalty kill if you get the challenge wrong as kind of punishment for the offside review Uh, so they reviewed it Um, do you guys know what happened beyond that point and the reasons why it happened only from reading the uh, explanation on the athletic it it's absolutely bizarre so so the officials go over to the the box and uh they put on their headset to these are the line officials go over and put on their headset and the they hear down the headset um a, a voice from the situation room in toronto saying it's a good goal um yeah it's a good goal so the officials then take off their headset now because of covid the headsets then before they go back to the officials that are on the side of the ice so the kind of rink officials before they put the headset back on because of covid they have to wipe them down so there's a process of wiping the headsets down so the headsets are not on anybody's head the officials then skate back to center ice tell the referee the outcome the referee points to the center we've got a good goal off we go Meanwhile, Toronto are screaming down, by all accounts, screaming down into the headset to go, no, 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 no. That's we we've seen something else. Do overturn it, overturn it. Can you hear us? Overturn it. And at that point, then nobody's listening to these screams, and the referee points to them and play carries on. Now, it goes through to the half. Of course, nobody knows any of this has happened. It, it carries it, on with a power play, though. Exactly. Because it was a failed challenge. Yeah, so the failed challenge, the power play happens, and Columbus have not only then lost the goal, they've also now got to kill this penalty. Thankfully for them and the league, they do kill most of the penal, uh, most of the power play. They go to the intermission, and then when they come back afterwards, there's about 40 seconds left on the uh, on the power play. They come back and they're five on five. And the, the feed that I was listening to was, I think it was the Columbus feed that uh, that Free Sports took 
<laughs> the commentator at like two minutes into the third period just went, um, I, I, I'm pretty sure we should have seen a, a power play finish off. And I'm not quite sure why there wasn't a, a power play to start off this period. Anyway, I'm, we're trying to find out why. We're trying to find out why. So I was thinking, oh, this is bizarre. This is absolutely bizarre. And so then it later transpires um, that the league decided in the intermission that it was a mistake and it turns out, and this is the horrible bit, and this is the bit where we all kind of cringe and think of a, a work scenario where we could have done this. Turns out that a trainee in the situation room in Toronto had an open mic, so i.e. a bit like a Zoom call or whatever it is. And because of COVID, everybody's distanced. Not everyone's in a situation room. They're all dotted around in different rooms on this call. This, this young guy basically looks at one replay and says, nah, it's a good goal. It's a good goal. Just saying it when he shouldn't have even spoken, the refs hear that and decide to just go with it. And you think for this guy, he's basically altered this game and the game goes on to being a one goal game and all this kind of stuff. But then it, bizarrely, the NHL decide to get rid of the remaining 40 seconds of the power play and tell John Tortorella and his team, don't worry, guys, we won't make you kill the rest of that power play. And now, you know, allegedly, supposedly, Blue Jack is asked, well, how about the goal? <laughs> Are you going to still keep that going? And they decided that, you know, they, they needed to keep it. But just an absolutely bizarre set of circumstances. And I just I kind of want to get your guys' opinion on what the league did because we all can see it was a mistake and you know a horrible mistake for this trainee to make and it's probably because of covid and the situation they're in that this mistake could happen and it probably will never happen again i'm sure but do you believe that they acted right to rescind that 40 seconds of power play time or should they just carry on because does this create a precedent for overturning calls if they later deem them not to be correct and things like that. James, what do you, Matt, I'll come to you in a sec. James, what do you think? Uh, so, yeah, this this whole situation is very interesting. And I was listening to the Steve Dangle podcast and their discussion on this topic um, earlier today, actually. And what they were saying was that um, the reason that the goal was not overturned is because I think somewhere in the rule book, it says that as soon as the puck is dropped, after a goal is scored, the goal yep. can, and even if there's a mistake, the goal cannot be written off. So yep. because the puck was dropped and they carried on playing, there's no precedent that says, okay, we need to go back and take this goal away. But then the fact that there was no precedent for them cancelling the power play was also the explanation that was given for why they cut the power play short. <laughs> so it's just... Yep. Uh, and what they what they were saying, which I, I think is probably the right decision, is they probably should have just carried on as it was, made them kill the penalty, say nothing, and then at the end of the game, release a statement and just say, yeah, we, made, we, we messed up. Royally screwed that up. This is the circumstances for why it happened. We're really sorry. We apologize. It won't happen again. But because they faffed around in the middle of the game and they tried to make amends in the game and explain things, it's become a much bigger deal than it probably would have had um, they just let it carry on as is. Because, I mean, 
I imagine, like Jolon, I know you're a football fan, but how many times have teams scored a goal offside and it's counted all the time in other sports? Um, and I think if they had just carried the game on as it was, let the power play happen and not said anything until after the game, probably wouldn't have been such a big deal. But to counter that then, James, to, to play devil's advocate, I mean, how how nerve-wracking would that be for hockey operations, that 45 seconds of power play time remaining? Because they'd literally be watching it going, please don't score, please don't score, please don't score. Because then the criticism of going with with that train of thought is that let's say Carolina then score again, it then becomes a two-goal game. And now you've ended up with kind of two illegal goals and CBJ would just be thinking, well, you had the chance to do something about this. Yeah, I, I can I completely understand that as well. I think, um, yeah, there's no, <laughs> there's I no mean, there real is no. right way that they could have fixed it, unfortunately. Like no. for them, they just, they messed up. They had to, um, and I think one of the arguments they said was because it only led to a one goal difference <laughs> at the time or something that, it, it was kind of like, well, we just need to get on with it sort of thing. Like that was kind of their reasoning for it. Um, I think Colin Campbell came on like the media and spoke about it. And that's just kind of made this whole whirlwind of like, oh, you need to be changing things like this. And I think uh, a lot of people will behave differently in future, particularly that uh, trainee intern that, uh, forgot to turn his mic off and made comments that the referees assumed was the official verdict. So that, that, that trainee um, I was reading, so he was actually in the arena and he's, he's a tr- something like a video technician coordinator, which yeah. just seems like another job that isn't needed. Um, <laughs> but he, his job is basically if they lose contact with Toronto, he's meant to, coordinate the video replays for the for the linesmen and the referees um but yeah like you say a bit bit over exuberant and uh, said something he shouldn't have and i think he, he watched one replay and then made his mind up <laughs> yeah. well that was the crazy thing about it because as a fan watching it at the time i was watching the game and the the review came up and i saw the first um because i showed it on tv the first review or the first replay and i looked and i went oh that's close that's difficult to know and then next thing i know the referee's skating to the center of ice and he's going nope we've got a good goal and i was thinking wow they must have some hell of a good camera angle that we didn't get on the tv because that looked way too close to just call like that um (laughs) the thing is we've all done it in whatever job you do uh and i've done it in mine and taken radio stations off there (laughs) you know yeah all done it as a trainee or, or as a professional and made a mistake that's had some sort of consequences but it's just a shame for this guy that um i mean not muting yourself on a zoom call is basically what he did like <laughs> the most 2020 thing to happen he he should have just muted himself who knows maybe he thought he was but i mean what do you what would you have done matt if you're in there colin campbell's shoes at the interval there i don't what know you've done i i hear what what james is is saying and and you know, you're probably right, but it's a very NHL thing to do, isn't it? To just bury your head in the sand and make a statement afterwards. That's it's like yeah. so. It's kind of refreshing that they did something about it. Um, I I think because of where the intermission was, they had an opportunity to just lessen and probably calm torts down just a little bit. Um, yeah. So so I think it was probably the right decision just just for that. I mean, he was fuming. <laughs> 
So do you think then, okay, yeah, can you imagine? Um, do you think then at that point they should have, at the point they decided to cancel the penalty and if, okay, the rule says, as James points out, once the goal uh, is given and the puck drops, you cannot then take the goal away. Should they then have gone back and added the time at least? Because there is precedent for that. Somebody was saying, somebody made Yeah, when the glass that, breaks, they do that. Yeah, if, if glass breaks just before the intermission, they'll go to intermission and then play a 22-minute period. Should they have then gone back and replayed those extra minutes five on five? Um, maybe, but I think what we might see is some sort of rule change in the summer that allows for that to happen. Uh, that's what usually happens with these things. We saw it uh, a couple of years ago with all the rule changes, um, with reviews um, after the San Jose Vegas uh, playoffs saga. I think it, maybe that would have been the right thing to do, but I think once once you've played that period just carry on yeah cancel the power play i think the the thing that they didn't do and we're seeing this in a lot of sports at the moment it was the communication to the fans that wasn't there i mean yeah. you said it you were watching on tv the commentator didn't have a clue what was going on i think if you're going to make a decision like that you've got to communicate it and when all the fans are at home because nobody's in the stadium that's got to be fed to the broadcasters so that everybody knows what's what's going on so my um my solution should uh, would have been, if I was Colin Campbell's uh, press secretary, I would have gone to him and said, look, you've got to go out there. You've got to give this statement. You've got to be prepared to eat some because it's not going to be pleasant. But what you basically do is go out there and just play the COVID card. Just go out there and say, look, this year is difficult. We have got guys all over the place. We're doing this via Zoom calls. There are different rooms. We have made this change, and this is why it's unprecedented to do this. However, the reason we did this is because of the unprecedented times we are in, therefore killing any other future time when this could be brought back into. Because this probably will never happen again. Well, and I think they, probably the NHL know that. What they should have done is at the start of the third period, made the referee skate to the centre of the ice, press his little waistband <laughs> button, turn on his microphone and explain to everybody what, what had happened. That would have been yeah. more entertaining. It would have been better, yeah. Or, or drag the trainee down from the stand and put him into centre yeah. ice and go, do you want to explain yourself? And put Tortorella in front of him. Actually, that's what I would have done. The, the punishment would be just take the kid down, put him in the locker room with Tortorella for 10 minutes. He'll never do it again. Tortorella was asked about it in a press conference after the game and he said something like he just sat back in his chair and he just went I'm going to leave this one for the league to to, to deal with, I'm, I'm out <laughs> like if, He's had enough fines Yeah, you're thinking that he knows that if he goes to town on this, he will end up looking like the villain and actually if he says nothing, all the attention will be on Colin Campbell and all of those people at the NHL So probably a very wise move and as we've said Tortorella's uh, making enough headlines uh, for various other reasons so we'll come on to the uh, the west division and the central division because I'm very aware that um, certainly for me the west this year has been an absolute blind spot um, mainly because of a lot of the covid stuff that's happened there and a bit of a slow start for some of the teams um, but just one story I wanted to kind of quickly bring up before that is is the Vancouver Canucks and I've had a bit of a, you know, a fair amount of watching of them over the last week or so as the Leafs have played them three times. And I just found it really interesting, given given 
what Vancouver did last year with their quite remarkable run in the playoffs. They were the last remaining Canadian team. They had a really good run. They've got these young players and Pedersen and Hughes and quite exciting team. They were a fun team to watch in the playoffs last year. This year, however, my days, they look terrible. Certainly in the first two games against the Leafs and against a lot of the, um, uh, the games against Montreal, they've looked appalling. And they had to make some moves in the summer. Um, Toffoli went, uh, Markstrom went. Um, so some big names. And the reason why, I was trying to work out why these guys went. And I ended up going on to Cap Friendly, the incredible resource that that is, and looking at their roster. And I looked at them and the Vancouver Canucks are an absolute kind of top end cap team with a, with a, a squad who... I don't know half the players or I've, I've kind of heard of some of them and none of them are paid a penny over something like six million dollars a year. So they've not even got any big contracts in terms of the tens, 11 million dollar players. So I was looking at that and thinking you've got a team by the Leafs who, again, right up against the cap, playing a team like Vancouver, again, right up against the cap. Vancouver went further in the playoffs last year and yet this year just look atrocious. And then you know, sorry to bring this up for Vancouver fans, you've got to sign Pettersson and Hughes next year. And I just, I don't know you guys, how much you've, you've followed them or seen them or kind of charted their progress this year. But uh, I don't know, James, they, they just seem like such a, a mismatch to a team on paper that you would imagine by their cap number should be doing a lot better than the second worst team in the Canadian division. I think the biggest problem with um, Vancouver is that they have a lot of money invested in their bottom six. Louis Erickson uh, has another year after this at $6 million, and he's not the Louis Erickson of, I don't know, five years ago when he was, when he was a good, decent player. He is bottom, bottom six player at best, and he's earning $6 million. Uh, this year, they got... Uh, Alex Edler as well, 34 years old, earning $6 million. Uh, All the guys that are not as good as they were, just earning too much money. um, So that, and even even if they're not like on big cap hits, I mean, they're paying Jay Beagle $3 million, 35-year-old Jay Beagle, $3 million for another season. Just got too much money invested in the wrong kind of players i mean fortunately for them they do have a fair bit of money coming off um i think they will have about 22 nearly 23 million dollars to work with so that they can sign Pettersson and hughes I you say yeah, some... but you say a lot of money coming off. I mean, how much is Pettersson going to get? I mean, he's going to be looking. He's going to be looking for the ten million. You would imagine Hughes is going to be looking for not much less than that. I mean, that's almost that entire lot gone already. I, I, I mean, I could... twenty-two million. They've got to sign uh, eleven contracts. Oh, yeah. Eleven contracts have got to fill that that twenty-two million. That that's hard. <laughs> It is going to be very difficult. Uh, I think what will put them in uh, a stronger situation is a lot of those con- a lot of those contracts are RFAs and they're not big name RFAs. So they're guys that they can probably just qualify. Um, so they'll continue earning less than a mil each 
less than 900 grand each for, for a lot of them. Um, they lose Edler, so that's six mil gone off your defence. Um, I could see Vancouver going to Pettersson and Hughes and being like, look, this is not the year that we can pay you guys. They might try and do one of these very short-term bridge deals that, um, that a guy like, funnily enough, Patrick Laine took um yeah. took well below what he was expected to earn on a long-term deal took a two-year deal much more team friendly um which allowed winnipeg to add other guys and eventually move move um they probably won't be looking at re-signing some of the players that are coming off the books they'll have to start relying more on the guys that they've got in their like prospect pool so to speak um they might be able to re-sign some some cheaper guys to fill out the bottom six maybe try and work out a deal to get rid of someone like ericsson um or beagle or someone like that someone those like contracts those are going to be so hard to shift though i mean those players are going to be the hardest type of players to move in this current climate because even next year and, and the season after that teams are going to be struggling against the cap and it's going to be so difficult to get those players a home somewhere else when when teams are, are cash poor but also cap poor as well I think with Vancouver like because some of their some of the contracts of players that they've got like Beagle for example half of his salary next year is signing bonus Louis Erickson he's got a million dollar signing bonus so if they pay that that's about two 2.2 million dollars that they have to pay up front and then if they retain salary on what's left, that will cut their cap expenditure down and other teams will be more willing to take them on. I mean, like Ericsson, if, if Vancouver took half of Ericsson's contract, it would only cost them one and a half million in real dollars. So another team will probably be willing to take Louis Ericsson at one and a half million dollars, real, real monetary terms. And then the cap hit will only be about three million if they go the full fifty percent. There's teams in the bottom, the bottom end uh, of the league that could probably accommodate that. Um, you know, like even even like LA, LA's right down the bottom there in terms of like cap expenditure and performance at the moment. Like, and they take on veteran guys for fun. Like, <laughs> yeah, got an old guy, we'll take him for a year. Like, uh, there will probably be teams that will take them on. But Vancouver will have to retain salary on people like that. But if it, if it, if it frees them up like an extra $5 million, like you're then looking at almost $30 million that they've got to work with to sign people. And do I mean, you think if, part of the problem, do you think part of the problem, uh, Matt, is the, is the expectation that was built through the playoff run last year and the fact that you know, Demko had, he had a pretty poor season, but he had an incredible playoffs. And so they had confidence in him. They brought in Holtby. And, you know, with those young players coming up, do you think there was just this kind of overconfidence in Vancouver, which is why now there seems to be so much noise about, you know, the, the shock of how bad they are? Yeah, mate, well, it doesn't help, does it? The fact that they, they did look quite good in the in the playoffs. And then, you know, just this season, I think, I think they're scoring okay, but just cannot 
defend. I, I saw a bit of um, the Toronto game, I think it was, and poor Holtby just looked like, you know, <laughs> what, what am I meant to do? Well, he just looked absolutely yeah. forlorn. Um, and At that point, though, however, he had just passed the puck to Austin Matthews. Which true, true. <laughs> there was a lot. Of, I, heard, I heard Elliot Freeman talking on 31 Thoughts saying... And they were talking about, you know, how Holtby's this real team guy in Washington and how he'd never criticises his forwards. And there seems to be a bit of that going on in Vancouver. And I heard another point going, well, hang on, you can't blame anyone else. You basically passed the puck to one of the hottest goal scorers in the NHL to run through. Yeah, that, that wasn't his best moment. But I think a lot of the other goals, <laughs> he wasn't really helped out. Um, and, no. and it's a recurring theme. Um, and yeah, kind of similar to the Pittsburgh situation really you know the goaltending hasn't been great um, but the defensive coverage just isn't there and so the the goalie numbers suffer but um, I I think I think Vancouver have got enough up front goal scoring to to do okay will they make the playoffs in that Canadian division I'm not sure I don't think so um and and they'll be disappointed and they've got a big a big off season trying to make these numbers work i think james is right they're probably going to have to do some clever juggling of of contracts um and and getting some teams to take take players on i think they'll be on the phone to la and detroit uh, for, for a few months in the run up to the off season i think one of the other um, storylines that came out of the Canadian division, and I appreciate it's been a kind of Columbus and Canadian uh, heavy podcast so far, and we'll come on to some of the other stuff as promised. But one of the other storylines I saw um, over the weekend was um, in the Calgary Battle of Alberta, the Calgary Edmonton game that I uh, fortunate to watch over the weekend. And um, Calgary won it, and it was quite a close game. But Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl played both played the final five minutes and 40 something seconds of the game without coming off. Now, granted, there was a TV timeout and I think there was a power play in that time as well. However, it's pretty rare in hockey to have your players in the regular season. <laughs> not, this is not game seven of the Stanley Cup final. This is a game 13 or whatever it was of the season and having them out there for five minutes and 40 seconds without a stop. To me, I look at that, and if I was an Oilers fan, I that would terrify me, because you'd think, how little faith do you have in all of your other lines that you do not trust another line out there to try and get a goal? You are basically saying to the rest of the division, the only people who can score on this team are Dreisaitl and McDavid. Thoughts from you guys? Well, I mean, Matt, seeing that, if you're, if you're, you know, Ben and Sagan and Radulov are all out there for five minutes of the final game, is that filling you with confidence or is that making you think, mm, I'm not sure about this? I think five minutes is a bit, a bit too long. I think to not even get the, <laughs> to not even get them off for a, a 30 second break no. while you get another line. I was on watching, the, I was watching it. I was like, still on. Yeah, I I think you're right. It does kind of send out that message that they're the only ones to worry about. But I think everybody already knew that hmm. with Edmonton. If you shut them down and you can stop their power play, you, you're you probably going to get the points. Um, and, and everybody knows that. And 
I'm, uh, if you're Edmonton, why why shy away from that? Just get, get your best players on the ice, I suppose. But yeah, I would have got them off for a, for a 30 second break at least, quick shift from from another line and, and get them back out there. It seems such a shame, and uh, I was listening to the same episode of the Steve Dangle podcast, I think, James, and they were talking a bit about this. It, it seems such a shame, the the kind of career so far of Conor McDavid and, and now with Leon Dreisaitl as well. And wow, how that contract has aged well. Because I was thinking back to, I had a horrible flashback to something I said on this podcast way back at the beginning. And I was, I was ripping a, a, an Edmonton fan who we had on as our guest, ripping in a very nice, polite way, obviously. Uh, but I was saying, that dry saddle contract, that's pretty uh, pretty pricey. And it's turned out to be one of the best value deals in the entire NHL. Um, but it, it is such a sh- <laughs> shame, James, that you've got a player like McDavid on a team like the Oilers who just seem incapable of putting a roster together to, to get the best out of him. This guy is a superhuman of a hockey player and he's on a team that might might get into the playoffs in the Canadian division when four teams get in yeah I mean I think the Oilers um, they are trying to do what the Leafs are doing but not nearly as well and that's essentially outscore their defensive and goaltending issues uh, the Leafs this year defensively have been better than they have been in recent years, but for whatever reason, until the most recent game against Vancouver, uh, the Leafs haven't been able to get a save. Um, and But they've had Austin Matthews for Edmonton. They've got McDavid and Dreisaitl, who are tearing it up in terms of goals and producing points and all of that, but their goaltending has been hammered so bad recently. I mean, they've had to pretty much ride Miko Koskinen into the ground until the most recent game where Mike Smith finally came back from an undisclosed injury. Their, their goaltending tandem at one point had a guy called, I think his name is Stuart Skinner, who, who's that? And then they had Anton Forsberg and placed him on waivers and Carolina took him. (laughs) And now I don't think they're even playing him. So like they just took him because they were like, well, why not? Yeah. Um, So the Oilers have literally had to ride Koskinen, who isn't a great goaltender, really. I mean, it's an area they need to address heavily in the summer. They need to get a legitimate number one goaltender. Koskinen will probably be a great backup option. I mean, this is his third, like, legit full season in the NHL. He's 32 years old, and this is his third season in the league. But they signed him to some goofy contract, didn't they? After, like, three games Four and a half million. Four and a half million he earns um, this year and next. (laughs) Um, Because he did so well in the KHL. So they brought him over, signed him long-term. Well, three years anyway. Um, And... I think his career save percentage is below 900, which is shockingly bad. This year, um, he's allowing over three and a half goals a game. Yeah. Now you feel literally. you feel you feel you know you feel tough on him because it's never just the goaltender's fault, and and no. the Oilers' D is 
again a tire fire at the moment but but you you think when you're trying to we talked about the penguins way back at the beginning we talked about how they're always in win mode now or win now mode sorry when you've got crosby and malkin how are the Oilers not in the same place like and how have how is this the roster that they've ended up with in when they've been in win now mode for the last few years of having mcdavid and i mean you're right the steps could be taken i.e a goaltender they could get a starter heard somebody say something about freddie anderson could potentially be an oilers number one next year and uh, I know they tried to get Markstrom and in the end he decided to go to Calgary and that was just a toss up really. But it's just a shame really. Cause like you've got a player like that, like McDavid who can turn NHL defensemen and look, make them look like 13 year old kind of kids on a, on a practice squad. Unless they're and, Justin Hall. Well, that's Justin Hall, of course. And then he is McDavid killer. Although I am worried about that because one day he will get done. Yeah. <laughs> Saw what he did once to cool. Morgan Riley and it wasn't pretty. I think the thing with um, with Edmonton, how how long is McDavid going to be happy um, with with what he's been dealt in in Edmonton? You know, uh, the biggest star in the game, arguably, and not getting a playoff run, not no. getting playoffs. And I heard him. I heard him talking on the um, on the broadcast last night. I watched them play. Uh, I think it was Ottawa they played, and um, they were talking about trading McDavid and how actually you can't trade McDavid until you trade Dreisaitl. But then you think, well, if you've traded Dreisaitl, he's the only other good thing going about that team. So are the Oilers going to be in a position in a year or two when they trade Dreisaitl and hang on to McDavid for longer? And it's just going to be painful to watch like this guy's career going into petering into kind of mediocre mediocrity, not his career, but the team that he's playing on. Could end up being the greatest player to never get anywhere near. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if McDavid doesn't win a cup? Not even close. Not even. Like, yeah, that's the thing. What they got to the second round in 2017. Like, imagine if that is it. Playing devil's advocate with the Leafs, I do kind of have a bit of a theory that they're going to get all the way to through the playoffs. Uh, and finally play against somebody who isn't from the North Division and really struggle because they play against somebody who's got a defence. You know, that, that North All right, is, all right, hang a on a bit, minute. A bit too easy to score, isn't it? Hang I mean, on a second. Just the because the Maple Leafs... No, 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 I'm not having this. Just because the Leafs... Just because the moment the Leafs make it to the top of the NHL tree, now there's some technicality. Oh, you've not played a proper defence like that. Nah, no, I think, I think it'd, be such a, it'd be such a Leafs thing to do to build up the, the Leafs fans' yeah. hope. And then, and then they go... You know we're gonna we're gonna win this. We're we're top of the, top of the league. Yeah, but you haven't played anybody who's got a good defence. And then you you know come up against Boston and see this. Is, no, all right, you didn't need to bring in the B word. Um, <laughs> it's going to be interesting this weekend actually because they've got two games against Montreal who are really the only other team in the Canadian division at the moment who look like they can kind of jostle with the Leafs for that top spot in the Canadian division. And I think yeah, Leafs fans are. Uh, well drilled in in disappointment and being aware of what's going to come around the the corner and um however if we make it to a, a conference final or whatever it'd be just beating other canadian teams i think uh, a fair few leagues fans would be happy i will say just very briefly austin matthews this year i mean he looks like a man on a mission he is on pace for 51 goals in 54 games <laughs> 
I mean, there was talk of last year when they were saying how he just missed out on that 50-goal uh, season because of the pandemic, and he would have probably made it. He He's on pace to do it in a shortened season, which is absolutely nuts. He won't do it, but it's still the fact he's on pace for it. If he did, it would have to have an asterisk against it. 10 oh, yeah. against <laughs> Vancouver and Ottawa. <laughs> So, uh, Matthews, I saw this after the last game. In Matthews's last 82 games, so like a full season, he scored 58 yeah. goals. Oh, my days. Actually, I, um, I wrote an article. I've written two articles about Matthews in like the last week because he's just been phenomenal. But Matthews, on looking at his career pace in points production, is set to smash Matt Sundin's franchise records by the time he plays the same number of games as Sundin. He's going to score, if he keeps up that pace of his career so far, by the time he plays the same number of games as Sundin did for the Leafs, he'll have scored 142 goals more. Oh my days. The guy's just a machine. And it's the same when you look at McDavid and, and players like that, but the way that he... the, the, the the angles that he can score from, the the way that he can just pick the park up in his own zone and skate through, and the shot he's got, and the the duo between him and Marna this year, it was in. I heard a, a debate they were talking about who's the kind of greatest duo in the NHL this year, and you know points wise, it's it's Drysdale and McDavid, but they don't play on the same line a lot of the time apart from the power play. So are they a duo? I guess they are, but but the the Marna Matthews kind of combination this year has just been outstanding um but yeah don't worry matt i'm sure disappointment's not far away we can't have nice things as least fans because we were just all loving how much wayne simmons was uh was thriving as a, a maple leaf scoring on the top line and joe thornton also another kind of bargain basement signing and he was doing great again on the top line both of those go injured and Never, you can never have a fully just enjoyable season as a Leafs fan. We all know that. Moving on to a couple of other things. So, um, I just thought a couple of kind of headlines. Uh, so, we mentioned it earlier Pierre Luc Dubois is uh, going to make his debut for the Jets tonight, all being well, as long as it's not being called off. But we haven't heard that it has been. <laughs> we kind of talked about it very briefly um, on the podcast because he was part of that line A trade has had an absolutely stunning start to uh, his Columbus Blue Jackets uh, career as part of that trade, so really looking like a valuable pickup, a centre there. Um, now, I want to talk about... Oh, and the other one was... A, there was a late postponement, wasn't there? I think it was a Philadelphia Flyers game. I can't remember who they were playing off the top of my head. Um, but there was a late postponement in the NHL uh, mentioned just a few moments ago, which if I get, it was against Washington. Um, so that game tonight was called off very last minute uh, by the NHL due to COVID protocol. Let's have a look at the Central Division, then we'll move on to the West. Matt, talk us through some of the kind of headlines from the Central Division and uh, what's been happening there, which obviously affect your beloved Dallas Stars, who were on a pretty good start to their season, albeit delayed. Well, I think that's that's the headline, that all, all the teams in the Central Division are now playing games. So um, Carolina have got through their COVID issues, um, Dallas got through theirs, and um, 
yeah, we're now we're now playing games. I think so. The, the, the standings are a bit a bit odd because you've got um, I think four or five teams who've, who've played ten or less games, um, and then others that have, like Columbus who've played fourteen. So it's um, it's it's a bit of a weird a weird table. But I think um, it's starting to shape up exactly how you thought it would. So Tampa are looking good. Um, they've only lost two games. Uh, Columbus are up there. Carolina are looking good. Seven wins. Um, yeah, the Stars, five, two and two. Quite a good start from our nine games. Um, as always with Dallas, lots of storylines. And the one this week was Anton Hudobin, uh, who is our, our number one goaltender with Ben Bishop out injured long term. Uh, overslept and was late for practice. And uh, so was dropped completely for it was a healthy scratch for the game against Chicago on Sunday. And he's not playing again tonight. So he's going to be, I think he's going to be back up tonight. So Jake Ottinger, the, um, the young kid who's looked pretty good in his first three games in the NHL, uh, he's getting his fourth, fourth start. So um, he debuted in the playoffs, didn't he, in the bubble? Ottinger. Yeah, he came in, he came in twice uh, in relief. Um, in the in the bubble, um, but th- this has been his first three three starts. He's got two wins uh, and one overtime loss. So he, he's he's looked really good. Um, you know, I think he's 22, 23. So for a goaltender, that's really young. The, the stars really like him, um, and he's going to get lots of games this year. I think the better he plays, the more games he's going to get. It's as simple as that. He was just going to be a bit of relief for for Anton, but. Um, he's looked good, so they're giving him another start tonight. And I think, you know, the, the better he plays, the more experience he's going to get. And I think they're they're looking that. I think I think there's a very real chance that um, Hudobin might get picked up by Seattle in the expansion draft because um, they really? can only well they can only protect you can only protect one I think one goaltender and Bishop's got a no move clause. So uh, unless they do some trade before then, um, it's mm. going to be Bishop. So. You know, there's a very real chance that they might take Hudobin, uh, in which case they're lining Ottinger up to to kind of be the the replacement uh, backup. How long, how long's Bishop out for? Uh, I think it's end of March. They're talking about. Um, so it's it's a long. And this time. was the same injury that kept him out in the in the playoffs last. Yeah, year. he ended up having a surgery. Um, I can't right. remember. I think it was his knee. Um, so yeah, who who knows what he's going to come back and, and be like? But um, for now, yeah, we we've got quite a few um, players out, and so we, it, it's been quite refreshing um, watching us play different teams. Although we're playing Chicago at the moment, which is which is usual, but um, getting to play Columbus, Carolina, and Detroit, um, and seeing young players getting a go because we've been a team that has had a lot of old players. Um, so getting some young prospects to come through and get a game. Delandra has been brilliant. Uh, Robertson got his first kick, uh, goal um, the other night. So, yeah, been refreshing watching uh, play against different teams with different players. Um, Detroit down the bottom, as as kind of would expect. Um, I got a big win last night, though. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's been the thing that I've noticed across the board, really, and I'm sure James will touch on this with with Arizona. You you look at teams, and you know they lose one night, 
and then the next night they're beating a team you expect them to lose against. It's it's been a very um, strange season so far in that respect. A lot of teams taking one win and losing the uh, winning the first game, losing the second game uh, in these kind of back to backs. Um, yeah. So it'd be interesting to see how it plays out in sort of the second half of, of the season, whether it it starts to to get teams going on big big streaks. But at the moment, um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a tit for tat. It's bizarre, isn't it? Florida went on that incredible run when their season started, and then yeah, come unstuck against Detroit, who like thumped them four one in a game, and now I'll play them again tonight, two days later. And I I have no idea. I'd love to know if this was. Oh, I have a, there must be a way of finding this out, but. I'd be fascinated to know if fighting has gone up this year because pretty much every game that I've watched, there has been some kind of fight in it. And I know as a Leafs fan, we don't often see fighting and, and seeing someone like Wayne Simmons on our team has changed that. But but all the games that I've watched, the intensity think, seems to be up there because they're like mini playoff series. I think it it's definitely more intense because you're playing not only are you playing the teams more, you're playing them more um, in consecutive nights. Um, so yeah. both tactically, you've, you're kind of learning more about your opposition and probably the games will get tighter as we go along, you'd like to think. Um, but then the rivalries start and because you're playing them so quickly, you're, you're not forgetting what's happened the previous night and you're settling scores. And I think I think fighting is going up. I think we'll fee- see the physicality in games go up as we get closer to the playoffs, as those rivalries, you know, you get to the eighth games of the the season yeah. series. I think it'll be it'll be quite interesting going into that those playoffs when you play the same teams again. Yeah. I watched an Oilers Sens game this morning from, from last night and it started off with a you know face off and then a fight just happened and then two minutes later another one. And I was thinking, well, it's, it's, it, this is the Sens versus the Oilers. The Sens which with nothing is, to Which play is for. interesting because the league has been trying to cut down on the number of fights over the last <laughs> they've been trying to do everything they can to get rid of fighting. Um little did they, they know a global pandemic comes along and uh, a bit of a And I think I think the general consensus is that everybody seems to be enjoying these new divisions and playing the same teams. I know people in Canada are absolutely loving playing Canadian teams all the time. Um, and I think it's the same in all the other divisions. It's it's fun playing um, different teams, at, but teams that are clo- close to you geographically and trying to start rivalries. That's what I think that's what often makes hockey um, so fun, especially in the playoffs, those rivalries um, and the intensity of the game. So if we can bring some of that into the regular season, um, who knows? Every game's an event at the moment. Like, uh, yeah. like in the, particularly for you know, follow the Canadian division closer than others. But every game seems like an event. I always remember for the Leafs as they usually had that, um, they had that Florida swing, so they'd go and play Florida and Tampa away. And I like, they were just games that were just like there was so little on them. I know Tampa have obviously been a great team. So they'd usually, the way the Leafs would do it is they'd lose to Florida, which was a huge disappointment. And then they beat Tampa, which was a real shocker. Like that's the way it would always go. And, but there was not like, that is geographically and culturally so far away, you know, Florida and those kind of places to East coast of Canada. Whereas at the moment, Every single game is just like this kind of high intensity playoff hockey. It's it's close to playoff hockey. It's not quite playoff hockey, but it is close to playoff hockey. And ah, uh, oh, I just I love it. I don't think they'll. Do you think they'll keep it, 
or do you think they'll just revert straight back? Or do you I, think it'll be something in the middle? They'll, I think they'll revert straight back, but I think I think this this will put thoughts in their mind. Can we do something like this mm. in the future? Maybe not quite as extreme as you only play the teams in your division, but probably increasing the number of games you play against yeah. teams in your division or something like that, or I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's it's fun and rivalries make hockey even more fun to watch. So yeah, long may it continue. Maybe shorten seasons and um, playing the same teams is the way forward to to get that intensity. Yeah, I do quite I do quite like it. Um, any other headlines from the uh, the central map before we move move west? Uh, no, don't think so. Like I say, hopefully stay COVID free and get some yeah. get some games in now. I think. Um, it's it's the West that are getting hit by the, the COVID bug at the moment. So we'll move on to the uh, the West. And James, you, you write um, and blog for the uh, Coyotes, about the Coyotes. And um, one of the things that I've heard talked a little bit over the last week or so, and not just about the West, but about the whole NHL, is that they may have to do something like um, taking into account points percentage if all of the games aren't finished and whether they'll even get to a point in the season where... Perhaps if there's a game between, say, the New Jersey Devils and the Buffalo Sabres, who both can't make the playoffs at the end, they may not bother playing it um, if it means that um, it's a more COVID-safe league. Um, the West is obviously struggling at the moment and has had you know, uh, quite a few cases. And obviously with the San Jose Sharks being kind of rehomed, um, albeit temporarily because their home arena they weren't allowed to play in and all this kind of stuff. Give us a flavour of the West Coast League and, and what's been going on there, or I should give it it's, uh, the Honda West. Sorry, it's full name. The Honda West. Yeah, so the West Division's um, an interesting one at the moment. Um, interestingly, though, teams are roughly where I would expect them to be or predicted that they probably would be by the end. Um I mean, Vegas has only played nine games at the moment. Yeah. Somehow they're still second in this division. That's just how dominant they are. So, like, when they actually get to play uh, games again after their bout of COVID and precautions and things like that, like, Vegas are Vegas. They're one of the best teams in the league. They're going to probably win this division if the Avalanche don't, uh, because the Avalanche as well are right up there. Um, teams like the Kings and the Sharks sitting down the bottom but a lot of games are being rearranged at the moment to really try and fit in um, the schedule and even free up space down the road to kind of catch up games that have been missed so the Coyotes have been put through <laughs> through a very interesting sort of situation so they, they played St. Louis two games they were then supposed to play the wild for two games and then i think they were supposed to play uh another team for a couple of games um minnesota's games got postponed and then this other team's games got postponed and the league basically turned to the coyotes and was like stay in st louis you're just going to play st louis for like the next four games so their next two or three games are still against St. Louis. Uh, it will be the first series in NHL history where teams 
have played each other seven consecutive times in the regular season. Um, so it'll break it'll break uh, NHL history because of all of these rearranging rearrangements. So, um, and the Coyotes themselves have been really interesting. They had a great start against the the Sharks or the Scottsdale Sharks, as they've been affectionately termed since they've been playing in uh, Arizona. Um, like played really well, um, got points on the board early, and then they went and played the, the Golden Knights for like four straight games and got like demolished most of the time. And everything was like, oh God, another difficult season ahead for, for Arizona. They were bottom of the division, like not looking great. No one was putting up points when they should have been. And then suddenly, fast forward to 12 games, they're sat fourth in the division, which is the final playoff spot. And they've just beaten the Blues, who are currently top of the division, in three consecutive games. So, I mean, if the, if the Coyotes continue their, their great hot streak against the Blues, by the end of this seven-game series, the Coyotes <laughs> might be top of the division. You never know. Like, they're only three points behind the Blues now, and their next two or three games are against them. So it would be a very interesting situation to look at the division standings this time next week. Uh, because of all these changes in schedules. Who've been the big performers for the Coyotes this year? Uh, so Connor Garland. Um, he's been this exceptional story. He was a fifth round pick. You know, one of those late bloomer type guys. Took a while to develop. Like went through it, the stages. Like went back to juniors, developed there. Then went to the AHL, developed there. Came up for a few games in the NHL a couple of years ago, looked all right. Last year, 20 goals or 22 goals, I think he finished on. Like the only player on the team to score 20 goals. And it was like, amazing. This fifth round pick guy who signed a two year kind of bridge deal at less than a mil each season. So he's earning less than a million dollars at the moment. And he's been performing fantastically. Um, he's just brings this energy every night that, when it, even when the team's down, he's trying things, he's doing things. Like, you just can't ask for much more from this guy. Like, um, just full of energy, full of character. Coyotes fans love him. Like, he is easily one of the most popular players on the team now um, because he just has that desire to, to win games. Um, and then, obviously, Christian Dvorak is exceptional uh great face-off guy really reliable um offensive producer is talking about well is he now actually the coyote's best defenseman ahead of ekman larson who's unfortunately been injured for most of the year yeah i find i find um <laughs> the arizona coyotes are just one of those fascinated franchises because there's so much seems to happen is it dallas are another one funnily enough because there always seems to be stories happening out of teams like dallas out of teams like arizona and yeah with all the john shaker stuff and the penalties they had for that and players like phil kessel going there and i know we talked extensively on a podcast once about how they kind of tried to get rid of that um, identity of the team where contracts just went to die and, and all of that kind of stuff and there's obviously a lot you know, going on with that and playoff success would be the thing to to change that would you say that you kind of said at the beginning St. Louis top probably is, uh, they might be overachieving a little bit I'm not sure I don't know whether kind of predicted that they would be right up at the top but that 
that West division is kind of shaping up as expected, really. Um, what, what Have you seen much of kind of Colorado this year? Because they're a team that kind of got under my radar, but I know at the beginning of the season, I was thinking they've got to be favourites or at least joint favourites to win the Stanley Cup this year. So Matt had um, a, an interesting comment earlier about how you're saying it was quite like an unusual year um, with everything that's been going on. And the Avalanche fit that like perfectly. Um, I mean, they're still right up there in terms of the standings, but they started their season in a 4-1 loss against the Blues. Their very next game, they demolished the Blues 8-0. Oh, so yeah. They shut the That's Blues right. out and scored eight goals against them. So, I mean, they've had a few flip-flop results. Um, they beat the Ducks 3-2 in OT, and then they lost to the Ducks 3-1 in the next game. Obviously, they hammered the Sharks because the Sharks are just terrible now. Um but then they lost to the Wild after beating the Wild 5-1. Um, they've, yeah, I mean, some games you they've lost to teams that you would have expected them to just destroy. I mean, they're third in the division. They're only a point behind the Blues, but they've only played, they've played two games less. Um, they're 7-2-1 in their last 10 games, 7-3-1 on the season. I think those three win, those three losses, though, were just kind of like question marks on the team of like what happened here like why did you like score like five goals against this team like two nights ago and then suddenly you've lost to them like they're just an interesting team because like on paper in my opinion they're probably the best team in the league um they've got so much offensive talent their defense is ridiculous Kale McCann and Generally, they are. It's just every now and then they have these really unusual losses that are just a bit of a surprise. The West for me is is the one where I think the four spots for the playoff are already sorted. Um, I, you know, San Jose and LA are not very good. Um, Anaheim are hit and miss, and Minnesota's season is probably over. Um, I mean. <laughs> They've played 11 games and they're six and five. They they were maybe going to be capable of getting that fourth spot, but not not really. And then they've got 11 players with COVID. They've had six games postponed and they reckon the number of cases is going to go up. Um, so you could have more postponements. So they're going to have such a fixture um, backlog that it's going to be tough for them to do anything. I, I just think... You're going to see that that top four in the in the West uh, continue to kind of pull away. But do you, do you think looking more? <laughs> Who knows? It could go on that streak at the end and just go <laughs> straight in, riding hot into the playoffs. Do you think the? I mean, it is early days, and I know a lot apart from the Canadian division, a lot of there's a lot of kind of disparity between the amount of games played. But just kind of scrolling through the the divisions at the moment, do you think? there are any big changes that we're going to see in terms of teams who are kind of in the doldrums of their division moving up? Because I'm actually looking through it at the moment and the Canadian division, I think is pretty much set apart from the fourth place where you've you've got Calgary and Edmonton who are probably going to fight that out. Maybe Winnipeg could get drawn into that too. In the East, I mean, you've got Pittsburgh and New York Islanders fighting for fourth 
in in the central you've got a few more teams around there it's a bit of a deeper kind of um division in terms of points you've got dallas chicago both out there but you would imagine chicago might drop off towards the end of the season it really only seems to be fourth spot we're talking about in each division unless you guys can see one that i'm missing not really um i do think that the teams that are at the top end of their division are the teams that you would have expected to be there. The Blue Jackets are a little bit surprising, being second in the Central. Um, they have played a lot of games. They've they have battle. played a lot of games. <laughs> so, I mean, they could definitely drop. So, I mean, that's one to probably look at. I would say the Central might be the only one that has yeah. significant changes um, in the long run, because even Florida, Florida has this habit of, like, looking fantastic offensively and then absolutely capitulating and just crumbling. So, I mean, if the Blue Jackets and the Panthers don't, that's probably like jumping up into those final playoff spots. Um, But otherwise, yeah, I mean, it's kind of really the last spot in the playoffs that each division will kind of be fighting for. Because, I mean, you look in the East, I mean, the Bruins, the Flyers, Capitals and Islanders, yeah, I could I could see all of those making. Well, looking looking at the East, actually, I've just had a quick look, and obviously you've got, as you say, James, the uh, the Bruins at the top, Philadelphia, and then Washington, and then you've got the Islanders in fourth with twelve points. You've got the New York Rangers in eighth with ten points. I mean, there's literally two points difference yeah, between right. that entire bottom of the division. And I was about to say, my God, what's happened to the Rangers? Like this is awful. They're bottom of the division behind New Jersey and Buffalo. Well, actually, they're on the same amount of points as them. So, obviously, not a great position to be in, but a lot could change in that time. Uh, but it does seem to be, and it's probably... I'm not sure the NHL will be overly... I mean, the NHL will just want to get through this season. If they can get through this season and award a Stanley Cup legitimately, then they will be happy. However, I'm not sure they'll be massively keen on the fact that you're looking at these divisions after 10 games average, and you can pretty much predict at least the top three in all of them. I can't remember whether that used to happen in the regular season or not, but you usually only knew it may be the top team in each division. Um, I'm not sure whether uh, this will stack up brilliantly for them, particularly as the kind of the season goes on. So I've got a couple of things just to finish. Um, a couple of questions for you, gents. Two questions, actually. And they're both related around uh, the NFL, because, of course, it was the Super Bowl at the weekend. Uh, Matt, has already told me it's one of his big nights of the year. He uh, has a big Super Bowl party, stays up all night, loves it. Not uh, was that right? No. Is that right? Is that what you said? No it? interest whatsoever. Right. Absolutely. So, James, are you, you, are you a game. Super Bowl person? <laughs> uh, huge NFL fan, uh, Miami Dolphins fan. Um, ah, have good. not been watched. Have not watched the Super Bowl in a long time because of my job. I'm up too early. I can't stay up that late anymore. Yeah, well, uh, fortunately, I managed to book a week off this week through uh, no through fluke, really, uh, anything else. So uh, I stayed up and watched this year, and it, it got me thinking of a couple of questions. So the first one, 
Eli Manning, um, very famous NFL quarterback, uh, has decided, well, he's, he's gone to New York, basically, to work with uh, one of the NFL teams there in New York. He tweeted a picture earlier on this evening of uh, three NHL jerseys, a Rangers, an Islanders, and a New Jersey jersey uh, that had been sent to him saying thanks for uh, the jerseys. Imagine that, being moving to a city and just having jerseys sent to you. Anyway, he's got to pick which team he's going to support. And he was asking for any advice of which team he's going to support. So that's my question to both of you, Matt and James. If you had to pick a team to support, if you were moving to the Big Apple, who would it be? The New Jersey Devils, the New York Rangers or the New York Islanders and why? In 30 seconds, let's go with James first. I'll go the Rangers. Original six team. Um, Tons of history. Um, some great jerseys, especially that nice Lady Liberty uh, verse jersey yeah, they got going this nice, year. Nice, isn't it? It's good. Ah, it's beautiful. Um, but they've got a lot of great, like young players in there: Lafreniere, Kako. Um, they've got Panarin. Great goaltending situation. I think they're a team that's going to be on the rise over the next few years, um, and I think they're going to be quite interesting to watch. Good answer, Matt. Agree. Uh, it's got to be the Rangers, MSG, Madison Square Garden, you know, all the history, getting to go there and watch the games. Um, yeah, the Rangers are the, 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 the kind of the, the historic team in, in that region. Um, and they're, they're the ones you'd want to be supporting, I think, uh, even at the moment. Uh, or, or the Islanders arguably are the, the best team out of the three at the moment, but I think James is right. The the prospects they've got, um, the next the next few years for the Rangers, you've got to be looking for some playoff hockey coming up. The only thing I disagree with you both on that point is the fact that have you ever looked into how much it costs to go watch a Rangers game in <laughs> Madison Square Gardens? <laughs> yeah, but if you're Eli Manning, whoa! All right, sorry. Good point. He's a millionaire, multi-millionaire. But uh, I did once look. And this is coming from a Maple Leafs fan who's been to uh, watch the Maple Leafs. And my God, it was eye-watering to the point where we thought, I am not spending that much money to sit right at the top of Madison Square Gardens. I've got to go to a bar and watch the game instead. I would love to go one day, but my days, that was an expensive ticket. Okay, my second question before I let you guys go um, is about the MVP. So Tom Brady, I'm sure even Matt, who is, has no interest in the NFL, will know who Tom Brady is and know the fact that uh, he won seven, his seventh Super Bowl at the weekend. Just to put that into context, the uh, well-decorated NFL franchise, the Pittsburgh Steelers, have six titles to their name as an entire franchise. Brady now has seven. His former team, the New England Patriots, who he won six Super Bowls with, also have six Super Bowls as their franchise. So now Brady has more Super Bowls than both of those teams in their entire franchise. This is a throw-it-into-the-air question that I'm going to be fascinated to see which way you guys go with. Who, in our lifetimes, and let's go with this generation of hockey players, who is going to be, or who is most likely to get close to the type of haul that Tom Brady has achieved. Who do you think of the current crop of NHL stars could potentially get to multiple, multiple Stanley Cups? 
the looks, it's, the concentration. It's, it's impossible on your face. to say it's because it's brilliant. There's there's so much more um, unpredictability in hockey because they play more than sixteen yeah. games. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> slight dick there. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just it's it's just too difficult to win. Play a more interesting sport. Yeah, well, it's too it's too difficult in hockey to win seven Stanley Cups. So who's going to be? So not uh, let you know. Don't fixate on the, the the seven figure, but who is going to be? We've got you know, it's a small group of players really because we we kind of know those all stars of our generation and the ones that are coming up now. But who is going to be that player? And it's kind of the Sidney Crosby player. And it's going to be the player who has the trophies. And the reason why I mention it is because we talked about it earlier with McDavid and he could end up being one of the greatest players ever to play the game, but he may not get a Stanley Cup. I'm sure it's not going to happen, but it could happen. So you've got to factor that in. Who is going to be that next kind of Sidney Crosby icon, do you reckon? And I will hold you to it in 10 years time. I'll write these down, send them to myself in the post. Who do you think you it's going to be? You just want me to say Austin Matthews, don't you? No, no, because I'm going to say him, so it's fine. So don't worry. He's covered. Honestly, I feel like with the way that hockey is now, the, the, the time of dynasties where they win like five consecutive cups in a row is gone. I think there's a lot more parity. I think there's a lot more quality in hockey now where the top, top teams still get knocked off by teams like lower down. Like you look at Tampa, they won the Stanley Cup in 2020, but the year before they got, they were like first in their division and they got swept by Columbus. Mm. Like, I feel like with hockey, it's too, it's too random. I feel like with, with uh, the NFL, like the Patriots were a dynasty, but I mean, for Brady, it took, there was like a 10 year gap between like his third and fourth. I think it was um, Super Bowl. Like he won three and then from 2005 to 2015, nothing. And then he's won four since then. So like actually like the last six years of his career have been better arguably than the first like 15 years of his career (laughs) in terms of actual Super Bowl like frequency. So, I mean, and Players in the NHL are not going to be able to last that long. Um, I mean, Brady's been winning cups in his late 30s, pretty much. Players, I, I feel like in hockey, if they don't win early or by the middle of their career, they probably yeah. won't be able to reach that sort of level. So on that point then, do you reckon that, what are we saying, Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be the last kind of dynasty team? Because you'd argue that they were a dynasty team in the NHL. Chicago, probably Chicago, Pittsburgh, last dynasty teams we could see. I mean, Pittsburgh won back-to-back. I wouldn't say they were necessarily a dynasty because there was a there was like eight years between that first cup and then their back-to-backs. So. But I suppose it was the same group, wasn't it? Or is it... I mean, it was the same, like, similar group. three players. Same core. Yeah, like two, like a couple of their players were the same. They had Fleury for one of those runs. Like they had pieces that were around. Um, but I would argue the, the Blackhawks were more of a dynasty because of how, how quickly they got their three. Their three was, it was three in like five years. Whereas for Crosby, it was like three in like eight or nine years. So 
I don't really know. I think like you'll see teams win like two, maybe three cups within a time period, but I don't think you'll see the likes of the Islanders or the Oilers in like the eighties where they won like consecutives for like half the decade. Whereas like the Patriots were in the playoffs like so often. I mean, Brady, I think the, the stat came out that Brady has featured in 18% of all Super Bowls in history. So, I mean, I don't think there's ever nah, going to be comparable in, in hockey, unfortunately. It's interesting because that would have, you know, the Detroit team of old who who didn't miss the playoffs for however many years they managed, uh, you know, they would be a, a comparison, I guess, in that sense. And it is, it's interesting because I was trying to think of how an NHL star could do something. It can't be a direct comparison, but how an NHL star could do it. And the only way I could think of would be something like a Nathan McKinnon or an Austin Matthews or somebody like that winning two cups, say, with their respective teams and then ending up being moved or traded or wanting to go and then winning a cup with another team. I was thinking in hockey, that would be, but again, it, as you guys did rightly point out, it's so much more of a team game. <laughs> yeah. Let's not talk about Matthews being traded, but it is so much more of a team game that I don't know whether moving a piece like that, but you'd argue like if you could get hold of McDavid, if a team could get hold of McDavid, that could win him a cup. If a good team got McDavid, yeah, 100%. Yeah, but a good team freeing up 12 million cup space is no yeah. longer a good team. <laughs> so basically what we're saying is hockey isn't as good as the NFL. That's uh, no, basically what the uh, the upsell. <laughs> that was the point that we were trying to get to all the way through this, uh, this podcast is to try and bring Matt round to the, uh, the NFL way of thinking. But it is a league where you can do a lot more wacky stuff and it's the it, same with the NBA and you think of like LeBron James and people like that the way they can move around from team to team and have success wherever they are and bring championships to those teams it's hard to work out how that could work in uh, in hockey but um, who knows the Colorado Avalanche could win the next three Stanley Cups and we could be looking at and thinking Nathan McKinnon and the like of uh, those kind of players could be that well, thank you both of you for uh, spending so much time chatting through the stuff. We had loads of uh, topics and things that um, broke earlier on this evening. And it's a, it's a fascinating time in the NHL. And um, it's something that I guess, ultimately, we're just glad that is still on our screens at the moment and continues to be in some form or other, even though there are games that are uh, dropping off the schedule. And you hope the NHL would... They've said they've got 10 games or 10 days, sorry, in reserve at the end of the season. So hopefully that will be enough, although it sounds like Minnesota might be playing all 10 of those days um, in back-to-back games, which could be pretty tough on them. Um, we'll hopefully be back next week and uh, we'll be chatting more um, about the, the games that have happened over the next week and anything else. You can tweet us um, at NHL fans from far. One of the great things about having that Twitter account open is that throughout the week we can just log in on there and see the kind of things that you guys are talking about and the things that matter to you and i've seen so many kind of uk-based fan groups of of different teams and stuff kind of doing things and doing little events and all that kind of stuff and and having little kind of chats about the games before and after and it's a it's great fun to be part of that community so you can tweet us at nhl fans from afar as i say we'll be back next week thanks very much for joining us thanks to my guests matt and james have a good week whoever you support